I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talk to the Audience where this is always death. I am one of your hosts, Bob Mackey, still praying for the ALF reboot who is here with me today as always. Hey, it's Henry Gilbert and I'm ready to pre-order that radioactive man to get it in two years. I know you are. <laughs> and yes, this is our community podcast. Welcome on this podcast. We talk about what's happening in the world of The Simpsons and in our world. And then we also respond to uh, the last month's worth of questions and comments that have been posted on the Patreon Welcome to the end of February, a month where we're all getting back to what I like to call normal yeah. after a very busy last quarter, to speak in business terms, of 2022. Yeah, man, like the December went then straight into January because we, you know, January we had to hit the ground running to get ready for the big live show. And then uh, right after the live show, then finally things were starting to feel a little more normal in yes. February. We've yeah. already worked ahead to April on some series, so that feels very good. Yeah, yeah, we're feel we're we're definitely ahead, and uh, and we got to bask in the the warm glowing warming glow of our of our many fans at our live show. Yes, that was, was very nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was our first live show in three years, and we'll be back, folks. Yes, it lo- we loved it. <laughs> uh, barring another mass contagion, I think it won't be another three oh, years. Oh, I'll do it even if there is one. I don't care anymore. <laughs> well, I think this has taught us that, like, you know what, even if there was a new COVID that was just as bad as original covid was with no vaccine i feel like people just aren't gonna do it like, no the government gonna... have to spend money and they're yeah. saying we're not doing that again no. so we'll be in <laughs> bubbles on stage uh yes, do not approach yeah. the bubbles yeah. hey we're getting close to that bubble boy episode of simpsons too so we'll be prepared oh, for it goody yeah, yeah i no. forgot about that one <laughs> yeah everybody i just remembered little girl in the big 10 being about like yeah lisa goes to college and pretends to be a gymnast and it's like oh bart's a the bubble boy for the entire episode too i'll have to rewatch the travolta film at least the riff tracks version of it oh oh i should lo- i've never yes. seen that the, the i believe it's called the boy in the plastic bubble mm, i i remember watching it because it got referenced all the time on tv uh in in comedy when it aired on the E network in the aughts or late nineties, I did watch it just so for to know what the references are. The only scene I remember from it is he meets another bubble boy. Hmm. Like their friend their parents hook them up to be like, Hey, you should meet another boy who uh who lives like you. And they somehow get in a reference to a winking reference to like, oh yeah, they both jerk off all of the time because they, I, they can do nothing else. I vaguely remember that. And also, he's not really in a bubble. He's just in a room with a big partition kind yes, of. Yes, yeah. Now they eventually, It's not like that movie, but was it Bubble Boy? That's, I think the movie just that, is Bubble Boy. Is that the, Tobey Maguire or no, Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal? Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah. the, other, the other side of it. I didn't know. I just did, guys, I just did a podcast about Spider-Man yeah. uh, for Soundtracker. I didn't know Tobey Maguire was such a dick uh, to people. Apparently, that... well, was he? He was like the vice president of the Pussy Posse. Yes, yeah, he's he's the sloppy seconds to uh, Leo. <laughs> oh my and god, the Pussy disgusting! Yeah, no, um, but now apparently, like there was a story Joe Manganiello, who plays his bully Flash Thompson in the first movie, that he says that the crew offered him a hundred dollars to punch toby for real during the fight scene they do in the movie mm. uh and also apparently he is a huge jerk at poker tournaments which again i didn't know any of this Ooh, he's a poker guy too he's a hardcore poker guy of course of course <laughs> there's there was some jessica chastain movie from a few years ago about poker and michael sarah's in it and his character is supposed to be toby Maguire, and he's mm. a total asshole in it and it's just their way of doing toby Maguire's story 
stories. What a way to insult a man. Uh, Michael Sarah's <laughs> going to play you. Yeah, he, that's true. Uh, like, I say that having looked a lot like Michael Sarah in my early 20s. I wonder if they try to get Jesse Eisenberg and then they're like, eh, all right, yeah, Michael Sarah. He's the cheaper version. <laughs> Let's talk about Simpsons news. Now, yes. we were all very concerned. Will the Simpsons end? Well, of course not, because they were renewed for seasons 35 and 36 right after we did our last talk to the audience. And that will surpass 800 episodes by the end of that run. Yeah, we'd been throwing it out there of like, could could the turn be coming now? Will it be a Disney Plus original? Because it definitely wasn't going to stop. Or is it going to leave Fox? Because the Fox executives of the TV broadcasting have been, I noted it every time for like the last two years, they've been winking over and over again, like we're investing in a lot of new shows. You know, there could be a time where we don't have Simpsons. We're, we're preparing for that future. But when the time came of like, uh, you know, stay or go on Simpsons, they're like, all right, another two years. Let's let's sign up. For so it. it's still going to be airing on Fox no matter what. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it is a in, in the U.S. It is still going to be a Fox TV show. Yeah. And, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and I think it'll be the same situation, too, of like the current season on Hulu, all the stuff, all the rest on Disney Plus in, in the U.S. And in other news related to this, uh, other Fox shows. So Family Guy picked up for seasons 22 and 23. Uh, Bob's Burgers has been extended through seasons 14 and 15. Uh, I have so much catching up to do on Bob's Burgers. Family Guy, I think at this point I have not seen, ooh, perhaps 14 or 15 years of it. I only watched a new episode of Family Guy recently because an upcoming guest did a video about a recent episode of Family Guy that made me want to watch it. The episode itself is not that great, to be honest. It like most Family Guy, I was like, meh. But it was a funny episode just about how Peter uh, is told to stop referencing 80s movies because they are creepy and inappropriate by today's standards. Like uh, like we, most John Hughes movies, honestly, is, is the point of it. Yes. So. The, hard to revisit some of those. It was a different time, people. Yeah. yeah. I, I did want to check in on American Dad, though, because I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, like, what's American Dad doing? And this is old news, but it got renewed for seasons 20 and 21 in December of 2021. Season 20 is premiering this year. Season 20 of American Dad. I still can't believe it. It's a show that I always forget is secretly very good. And uh, on Gayest Episode Ever, they recently covered an episode, and Drew Mackey talked about how he recently watched the entire series. And I think one of these days, I need to get around to watch it because i think i dropped off in like season five so there's like 16 episodes of television i need to watch i was really uh, you know i was so underwhelmed by that family guy episode that then i was like oh let's check in on american dad i got hula open and yeah i easily watched three newish episodes of american dad and just like liked it <laughs> it's it is such it also is one of the easiest watches of like any show for me it's just so background noisy but uh, i mean i mean in a good way but uh, but yes, I mean, Al Jean is still going to be in charge of the Simpsons. It's uh, the way he was talking about it. He's still obviously, what, why is he going to leave? It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where's and, he going? Uh, and yeah, by the end of thir season 36, they will be over 800. So that makes me wonder, do you just do up to season 40 and pass a thousand like do you do that uh, yeah. as long as everyone is alive i don't see why not but with current advances in ai voice technology i don't think it matters anymore i know oh man this it, ai thing it feels like these deep fakes are improving by leaps and bounds uh and the only thing you can do is laugh because it will destroy all of our lives so uh don't even think about the damage it will do just watch those videos of uh, all the presidents arguing on destiny 2 voice chat those are fun to watch those are and also fun. watch biden in skyrim videos those are fun too 
I'll have two honey ales, please. One for me and one for the lady. If you can call her that. Coming right up. How you doing? Fucking Trotter looking son of a bitch. Nancy? Nancy Velosi? Nancy, it's so great to finally see someone I know here. I'm sorry, sir. Do I know you? Nancy, it's me, Joe. Look, I don't mind you having your jokes right now, Nancy. We need to find a way back to the White House. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to find a way back. And when I do, I'll come pick you up. Do honey eyes? Listen, I got to get my price now, Nancy, but uh, good seeing you. I'll be back for you. Or uh, Joe Rogan fake things of him saying like yeah. dumb shit. Yeah. The genie's out of the bottle. Just find the good comedy that's being produced from this horrible technology. Because I, soon we'll all be saying slurs uh, on oh uh, deep fakes. We'll all be canceled. It'll be over. But maybe we can secretly do podcasts without anyone knowing that we're not actually doing them. Oh, uh, we can hide behind the, the, the deep fake ourselves. I then. could say, uh, generate me an episode about, uh, let's say, uh, Large Marge, that episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. No. Uh, yeah, I uh, I was just seeing too. There was some prominent sci-fi uh, fantasy publication that just said for for right now they are closing their submissions. Not because the fake AI text things make good submissions that they don't want to you know accidentally publish a an AI generated story, but because so many AI generated stories just get dumped mm -hmm. in their inbox that they literally can't parse through all of them to find real people. That's very dark. And I also thought that as a former teacher, uh, there was always the fear that, oh, a student could download a paper off the internet. So there was a software where you could like upload it to check to see if it was a posted paper or not. And even then it was hard to find. But now I think the AI software is good enough to make like an entrance college writing course paper. So I don't know what any teacher is going to do now. Yeah. How do you how do you tell from like, well, is this poorly written by a computer or is this just like a C student writing an essay? How can yes. you tell? So, uh, yeah, terrifying world. But you know what? The podcast still good. Yeah, still that's uh, essays like this or uh, <laughs> This replaces the essay. Every kid should just have to do a podcast in their class. I mean, not you're not going to make money writing essays out there in the real world. Who pays for writing yeah. anymore? Yeah, it's closed off to only only like people over 40 at, uh, at New York Times. Or uh, actually 50. I or if say. your parents were famous authors, then you're allowed to write a book. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the only new episode before we recorded this was The Many Saints of Springfield, which was uh, seemingly their annual Fat Tony episode. Have there really been annual ones? It pretty much is the replacement for sideshow bob episodes like i was like wait yeah there's always and honestly it's a bit indulgent they often they're even treating it like kelsey Grammer, where they get joe montagna to sing like he always sings in every one of these and i definitely think it is because it is a uh, a fascination of al Jean. like he wrote this episode he is the mm. sole credited writer on it so i think it is one of his uh, bugaboos to to do a Fat Tony episode every season. Interesting. And we did watch the Robot Chicken animated opening together. It was very cute. Homer gets sucked into the uh, the couch dimension, becomes a Yarny style creature, and there's the appearance of Paul Fusco, the voice of Alf, as Alf on a TV guide cover. It's funny to hear him say like, "I was canceled at exactly the right time." Like, yeah. And you know, I also like the joke in it that Homer. 
that Homer has a Mickey Mantle rookie card, which would obviously make him a child of the 50s. And then he sees a Rubik's Cube, and he's like, oh, for my childhood. It's it's a good joke about the sliding timeline. Yeah, I was show. wondering if they were messing with us or if they made a mistake, but I think it's the former. And, well, also that episode has a joke about how people don't remember old episodes because Ned's like, I remember when I taught Bart? And Marge's like, no, I don't remember that at all. And he's like, well, it happened. But then they... Then they repeat a joke like almost verbatim with Superintendent Chalmers firing Flanders for praying in school. Yes, from the PTA disbands, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. A classic bit. I will say probably because Al Jean wasn't, it was one of the two years he wasn't there on The Simpsons. Right. So he missed that joke. But uh, I say you got you to check Frankiac, you know? <laughs> oh, wait. It was Sweet Seymour Skinner's bad. Oh, that's song. right. That's yeah, right. Uh, they have similar kind of stories in both episodes, though. Yeah. In both, Ned becomes the principal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but no uh well actually he was yeah he's a teacher in the other one but yeah yes, it's, yes. uh but yeah it's like ned ned has the leftorium saved by fat tony and it's you know guess what it that tony uh starts leaning on him it's it also if you saw the many saints of newark the uh the sopranos prequel movie which honestly is like <laughs> technically not good but i did like it uh this has only title uh influence on it it does not really follow the plot of that movie okay so uh yes if you're into that there's a new fat tony episode and also uh this is going live the night we're recording this so it's not live yet for us but there will be a carl carlson specific episode about black history with an appearance by henry henry lewis gates jr so we're going to be exploring the the backstory of carl now it's interesting you know they never really have done a thing about i mean aside from occasional jokes like um, like in the movie where lenny says black that's the worst color there is no offense carl right. like yeah they they uh, or letty white carl black often they do not actually do much with carl being the like most prominent black character in the series he's defined by being lenny's friend and lenny is defined by being carl's friend and vice yeah yeah they're really just a not but also maybe gay couple like that's uh, that's mainly what they're about but now i think that they have a black actor playing carl i think they're ready to engage more with that so uh yeah i mean getting henry Louis gates jr in there like that is a one of the most like famous uh current black american historians there is so i'll be i'll be interested to see what they do with that should be interesting and you mentioned it up front henry but there are new toys coming uh, toys. super seven so get ready for them to show up in three years missing pieces <laughs> yeah. hey my poochie was complete i did see our our pal maddie got her poochie in the yes. mail and i think it had two left hands or something something yeah. something was wrong with it but these new toys uh they're gonna be king size homer devil flanders uh, dredrick tatum and radioactive man so the uh, how much are these are these like 40 bucks each uh at least 50 oh honestly. at least 50 wow. sh actually i think with shipping my poochie was 70 oh my yeah, lord it was yeah uh so that's why i only bought one of them uh but i mean you get so many accessories you see the like the those troy mcclure toys my husband got me for valentine's day since those are very small and don't and not particularly like fancy they're they're meant to be uh smaller scale toys they're like in the 10 to 20 dollar range are those super seven as well they are super okay. seven yeah they, yeah they're much smaller than the other toys and uh but i can't take it out of the box because the graphics the the graphics on the box uh i have seen people point out that this is their you know fourth wave of uh these this 
type of toy and they have yet to do a female character yeah, whoops them. uh which i don't know what about uh edna or marge like uh cop marge that'd be fun right yeah there's some variant of marge right yeah but uh but king size homer and devil flanders they look great director tatum too but if i'm gonna pick one it's uh and i am picking one it's gonna be radioactive man because i love that silly comic book character and he comes with the american flag and the copies of his comic it's uh, it's great i'm going to, i'm going to assume there was a radioactive man figure back in the in the playmates days right oh for sure there was i think there were multiple ones like there there was him comic book accurate and then i think there was also the 60s movie version of him and the uh the rainier wolf castle version of him too so hmm, yeah okay uh but this one comes with an american flag nice and you can burn it <laughs> legally uh that's a preview of our futurama for this coming uh month oh yeah that's yes. a goodie all about flag burning and finally not a lot of news this month but uh the season finale of the simpsons has been uh teased and uh, lizzo is going to be showing up as a happy little elf doll and what i assume will be a very small role in this episode <laughs> called homer's adventures through the windshield glass or something like that yeah so okay. uh based on the description in the article lizzo is in it playing herself and then also uh in a vision homer has she plays a happy little elf doll so i be- from the description it sounds like that homer has kind of a jacob's ladder type dream uh scenario where he uh, then sees things in lisa's room talking and so they they finally actually have use for the happy little elf that still appears in the background for 34 seasons yeah i I, like it's always just in her bookcase sitting there right there next to that uh sometimes brown uh itchy there (laughs) yes the brown itchy yeah and uh i know you could tell this is a simpsons episode because it the name of the episode is referencing a book from the 19th century that no one has been assigned to read since like 1962 in school (laughs) right yeah no it's uh it's pretty uh that makes me think it's an al gene one or maybe al gene i think al gene runs the naming department i think you're right yeah <laughs> it's like no no reference can be uh let me let's see younger than 30 years right well i guess technically that uh, that many saints of springfield is referencing a recent true, movie true. but then again it's like a sopranos movie so it's kind of not that takes some of the recency out of it I it's say. like 25 year old ip <laughs> but but lizzo is very excited to be in it you know she has the second she announced it she's like oh yeah i've wanted to be in the simpsons my entire life and now now she's finally getting it Let's move on to our news. So we're back to our regular schedule for What a Cartoon. Thank you for bearing with the slight delay on February's episode. Uh, It was definitely worth it. Uh, For March, though, we'll be covering Invader Zim finally. And this is a Patreon pick, correct? Yes. This is from premium subscriber uh, Toon J. And uh, it was long overdue for us to cover Invader Zim, one of the most like <laughs> influential cartoons of its time, really. I was a bit uh, terrified to go back to this era of uh, my life and entertainment, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun and, yeah, very influential in both good and very bad ways, but uh, a fine show. Yeah, I was glad to see it, uh, not to spoil what we actually haven't recorded it yet, we're about to, but... Uh, it was uh, better than I remembered. I, I was remembering all of the bad copycats of it that made me think Zim was worse than it was. Me too. And uh, so, yes. Did we name the episodes yet? Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. It's Bad, Bad, Rubber Piggy and Hamster Geddon. Yes. And they're both on Paramount Plus, And you will have to watch an ad even if you pay for it. So get yeah. ready for that. <laughs> 
Don't like that. So for $5 and up patrons, we have, of course, our monthly mini-series. So uh, with Talking Futurama, we're covering A Taste of Freedom, an episode uh, that was written before 9-11 but came out after 9-11 about freedom of speech. So a little sticky territory there for Futurama, but it's a fine episode. Oh, yeah, and it's got uh, the return of uh, Waterfall Senior. Or the, well, the Old Waterfall Man Waterfall. Th- yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, I'll never remember that. <laughs> and also uh, coming up this month, Talking of the Hill will be covering uh, the final Shinsault, which is kind of the the second of the pregnant pause final shinsult two-parter it's a very loose two-parter but it is a two-parter yeah it's uh not so secret two-parter but yeah the and with a lot of vegas talk at the in the third act too mm-hmm. and our movie for march is going to be chicken run because uh it's not an anniversary or anything but Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget premieres in November on Netflix, and we want to get ahead of that by talking about this very, very great movie. I chose it because I love Mel Gibson, not for his acting, but for his beliefs. <laughs> you know, you you found out he was an actor later. He's like, like, oh, <laughs> well, uh, th- I can I can look up all these movies now. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's an unfortunate thing about Chicken Run that it uh, the thing that made it a big deal and and. Certainly probably pleased Jeffrey Katzenberg at the time that they cast a very famous guy in the lead voice role. Who he cast in Pocahontas. Right, right. Oh, man, he must have... Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Mel Gibson, why is he so friendly with Jeffrey Katzenberg? That's against his brand. It really is. Yeah, but but seriously, folks, it it, it was a really great movie. I I saw it in theaters, loved it. Haven't watched it in a while, but uh, looking forward to seeing, uh, seeing it again. And yeah, now... I forgot that Netflix was the the company that has invested big in in Ardman too. Yeah, that's right. But it it takes a very long time. So I think it's like 2023 is Chicken Run movie. 2024 possibly New Wallace and Gromit movie. Right, right. That's yeah. still coming. <laughs> uh, and a special programming note: there will be a new Blab about Batman the animated series on March 23rd. Uh, we plan on launching quarterly episodes of that instead of having a big miniseries at the end of the year. So there'll be one in March, one in May, one in July, and one in October. So look forward to uh, four new episodes of that miniseries sprinkled throughout the year instead of crammed at the end of the year. Yeah, we uh, it's in those fifth week kind of months where the, you know, we last year when we had a Monday... Some times there was a Monday with nothing new on the Patreon. This time now, instead of having a bunch of Batman at the end of the year, Batman uh, will fly in to save the day on those on those uh, Mondays. Except this one is launching on Friday because we missed the Monday in January because we were very busy. (laughs) Yeah. But after that, we're back on schedule. (laughs) Please don't be mad. But yes, uh, lots of fun new episodes. We already chose them. I've already uh, looked into them. It's going to be a lot of fun all throughout 2023. Let's move on to what we've been playing and watching not related to podcasting. So actually not a lot for me. Uh, So I've been playing Fallout New Vegas since late December and I'm still playing it. Although I did uh, start and finish Majora's Mask, the 3DS port for an upcoming episode of Retronauts. So that was a lot of fun. One of my favorite games of all time. I finally found time to replay it. So very happy about that. I got to play the 3DS one again. I started it up for this, but then... That Switch uh, port, well, not port, but just the the Switch Online emulation of it is really good. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's also funny seeing you. I the, saw you say this on Twitter too, of just like that. 
there's all these new games we are like oh, you know fallout new vegas i gotta do all the side stuff in it yes i'm so i'm playing games from 2010 and i guess 2000 respectively although i guess the 3ds remake was 2015 but still that's that's eight years ago you know with uh nina's online enthusiasm for disco elysium it makes me finally like i really should be playing that game i i am gonna play it i've always wanted to and i promised her i would play it but i have to play a few uh smaller games after i finish new vegas it's it's a pretty big game that disco elysium huh uh, uh, it's like 30 or so hours but it's meant to be replayed so uh-huh. it's but it's not a short game i don't consider 30 hours a short game i guess some people out there would i mean compared to tears of the kingdom coming up i'm Ooh, sure it's pretty short <laughs> i gotta clear my schedule for that so yeah not a lot of gaming uh, in terms of watching i've been slowly plucking away at dragon ball again i've returned to it i got through the uh, the ten shinhan saga you know the guy with the third eye kind of useless but he's a big character in original dragon ball anime and uh, yeah, so I got through that fighting tournament arc, and uh, honestly, I don't know what happens in Dragon Ball because oh, okay. <laughs> I, I never watched it. I I, I watched uh, a little bit of the original Dragon Ball. I watched the first two sagas of DBZ, and I don't know anything else. So when the tournament ends, I'm like, oh, what's next? Immediately, Krillin is murdered. It's crazy, <laughs> yes. isn't it? Yeah, I wonder. I was gonna ask you, like, isn't that crazy? <laughs> I like, I'm I'm surprised by all of these, and th- these are like 37 year old episodes of television. But I'm like, oh my god, Krillin is dead! And then it's uh, Piccolo arrives, not the one you're thinking of. It's actually his daddy, and uh, it's starting off a whole new saga where the stakes are much much higher. It feels like they're figuring out what Dragon Ball should be, or uh, uh, Toriyama's, but I know his editor had a big influence on that. Yeah, the original King Piccolo story is crazy. It like, is. It's crazy. And and yeah, you're right. The original editor, uh, his editor has so much control over it. Like, they really are like co-writer in some sense uh, of the comics. But yeah, I, I never watched, I've watched some, like a handful of episode episodes of original Dragon Ball. But I experienced Dragon Ball as a comic, and I've read through the uh, the entire original run of Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Z. I know it's all Dragon Ball <laughs> in this comic. I read through that like twice, and I did the uh, I did like five years ago. I did it again, and man, yeah, the first it just flies the the original like pre-Z stuff. It just flies right by. I'm really enjoying this arc I'm in right now, and it's also very funny how much they're just handling Krillin's corpse in the cartoon, <laughs> yes. where it's like, uh, they, they his corpse is still hanging around, and Bulma has to build a like a cryo chamber, and they, they lay his corpse inside. He's still wearing his little suit. It's, it, it's very morbid and, and hilarious in that way. It was also funny to watch it backwards, because, you know, Dragon Ball Z was the first thing that Americans got, really, and so in the show early in the show they have to say something like well krillin if you die in this fight we can't wish you back to life because you can't do a wish twice so if you die once we can wish you back second time total death and so they're they i was like wait when did he die before and then when i finally read the comics like there is where krillin died yeah okay. I, I had no idea also funny uh i'm at the part of the story where goku meets uh, yajirobe for the first time they're on equal footing <laughs> it's crazy i, I had no I, I like again these are all surprises to me i know it's an old show but i'm having a lot of fun i'm used to yajirobe being a total joke guy but here he is like equal in strength to 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 a child goku here i also i loved every tournament arc the three tournament arcs like they are such a great way to 
gauge uh, Goku's growing strength over the series. It's it's really cool. You know, a Dragon Ball, good series. Check it out mm-hmm. if you haven't good. heard of it. Yeah. Uh, and I also watched all of Agretzko season five uh, slowly over the course of a week with my wife. Uh, and I thought it makes some interesting choices. I don't know if you saw it, Henry. Uh, I'm three episodes in. Okay. I haven't finished it. Uh, not. I won't spoil anything. It takes a turn towards the back half, which makes me think they had a two-season plan for the show. Uh, what happens in the back half, you will not expect. I don't know if I liked it at first, but I think I am liking it more in retrospect. I won't say what it is, but this episode, uh, this season is more about Haida, actually. And I think you see Agretzko in the office maybe twice. Mm, you know, I did. that was my feeling in the first few episodes, that I was like, oh, this is the Haida show now. I can see why people... Uh, it's not I mean Agretzko is still in those first three episodes Agretzko is still featured but I can see why some people turned on the show a little bit because they're like Haida's really taking this thing over and uh I I do love uh the first scene I'll just say like in the, the first scene of the whole season where they're hearing uh Haida complain about uh, his being like jobless and mm-hmm. everything and then he's like you know do you really even have to work and i just i love how fenico uh, just starts laughing like yeah oh spoken like a guy with rich parents who doesn't have to pay his fucking rent because he lives in his parents apartment they yeah. they do explore that and they do sort of like break down and rebuild his character and i like it more than season four and when it got to the end i thought i'm gonna miss these characters so i think that's a sign of a good finale when you kind of want more i also feared it was going to be anti-gamer the whole season but it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of gamer agnostic i think it's it it's more about looking at the social causes of why people are gaming addicts it's because there's no hope yeah that's true yeah and it's also the it, it definitely i think rightly takes aim at like loot boxes and the grind of that of just like well i want to feel that little uh i can just spend like three hundred dollars i'll scratch that itch again they did do that with the vr boyfriend game in the earlier season oh yeah where she goes yeah. into debt by buying like different costumes and stuff for the vr boyfriend i mean that's a problem in japan too uh just as much america of like people uh, becoming the whales of that stuff but uh, hmm, i'm interested to see what this second half uh turn is yeah you won't see it coming but oh, okay. uh i i I kind of like it. So, yes, I watched that. In terms of movies, uh, I guess my pick of the month was uh, Black Klansman. Uh, And it is kind of my favorite two things in one. It's like a procedural, like a crime story and also uh, a leftist uh, movie. And, uh, you know, it also is about, hey, what if a cop was good? So uh, some people might, you know, discredit it for that. I understand because uh, Spike Lee, uh, I I think he has he has warmed up to cops a little in his old age. Well, I mean, he also did like crypto commercials. Yeah, yeah, he can't. when I think of Spike Lee's politics, I think of this scene in Malcolm X, uh, which is a wonderful movie. I think it's my favorite. I, I haven't seen every Spike Lee movie, but it's I've seen about 10 of them, and I think it's my favorite. But there's a scene in the about the middle of the movie where Malcolm uh, meets one of his old uh, friends from his you know criminal life, played by Spike Lee. And when Malcolm X is explaining his new political beliefs, uh, Spike Lee's character goes like, you know, I can only go with you so far, man. I don't really (laughs) understand all this stuff. Like he it to me, it felt like Spike Lee backing away from 
the fully endorsing the uh the politics of uh, of malcolm x who his family you know i wish him luck they're suing the fbi uh and uh and oh, other good. criminal agencies because uh they almost certainly plotted to they, they're involved in the killing of him like there's no two ways about it i think you will enjoy this movie though henry if you watch it i got i i will watch it it I was will, it was yeah. a best picture contender i think no i got behind on watching all the best pictures uh you know and i i just don't even try anymore <laughs> but i i will watch this one i'm gonna now with the bob seal approval and also that it's a procedural i like procedurals even though they're propaganda i mean they are but I in this case like the them. cops did something good and okay. it's, it's based on a true story so it all, it all really happened and uh, this is not a spoiler but uh the end of the movie uh shows footage of the unite the right rally from 2017 oh. uh and i was like boy things have gotten so much worse since then uh because it was you know uh, the car hitting people and things like that you'll see some graphic stuff Ooh. and it was meant to say like well here's what's happening now you know, um, he's and always... that was in 2018 sorry oh no no sorry uh yeah spike lee always uh that's some of the most like brutal stuff in his movies and also some people i think fear it dates it because like but I, I think it works very powerfully. Like Malcolm X begins with showing the footage of the Rodney King beating and just like, mm -hmm. the, and it was his way of saying in 1992, we are not even, we are still living in the world Malcolm X is talking about. This is not dated at all. And uh, then I also remember Bamboozled ends with like a ton of footage of minstrel players in okay. real movies of just them. So including... He, I believe Warner released the movie and he got permission to show a clip of Bugs Bunny uh, in his minstrel scene at the end of the uh, the Mountie cartoon that they did. Yeah. I mean, the movie is about the humiliation of David Duke and the infiltration of the KKK. But at the end of the movie, they show live real footage of David Duke being like a respected person on the scene of this rally. So uh, and also uh, in this movie, the, the KKK people, they sit down and watch Birth of a Nation and they're like howling over how funny they think it is. And I thought boy i forgot how just ranted this birth of a nation movie is why did my intro to film teacher have us watch this <laughs> i you know my in uh, in college my film teacher said here i'll lend people a copy of it i burned if you really want to see like the film history but this is an obscenely racist awful film <laughs> uh, i guess he gave us a disclaimer but he screened the entire movie in class wow it's just man. like can we just skip to the next movie that did all this you know impressive filmmaking techniques not the one about like the kkk saving america uh yeah that has multiple people in blackface yeah in it. yeah man you could cancel that guy now that teacher get him fired Ooh, uh, I, I think he's retired he was like uh, in his 60s 20 I, years ago i would assume he's dead now. yeah yeah well i mean if you got tenure you're teaching until you're dead you're right. like a senator basically <laughs> uh and i also last night i still have to think about my uh thoughts on this movie i still got to sleep on them but i watched the last black man in san francisco last night uh and it is a very uh this is i, I don't know how this sounds if i describe the movie like this it's a very director's first movie movie in which the director is like i'm gonna try every shot i'm gonna use every music cue i've ever wanted to use so in that sense it's over the top but it's a very sincere story about uh like poverty in san francisco and how people are being pushed out of the city Ooh, that uh, you know now that we're both about to leave this area it makes me 
it feels less painful to watch it now. I yes. don't know. But, uh, and I, I, I did feel a bit attacked in a good way because at the end of the movie, this is not a spoiler, the one character who's been through a lot, who has been displaced, is on a bus, and he sees two uh, white people complaining about, oh, we had to fucking move to San Francisco. This city sucks. <laughs> and it's just like, well, Henry and I are kind of like that. Yeah, We moved yeah. to the Bay Area, uh, but, yeah, I mean, much worse people came after us. <laughs> but uh, the character says... Uh, you don't get to hate it unless you loved it. So I was like, you know, I never loved it. So I I loved it at one point. I liked the East Bay. Uh, I never oh. liked San Francisco. You know, when I first moved here for the gay stuff, uh, Castro really impressed me in like 2006. I was like, wow, look at that. But yeah, no, I, I've been meaning to watch that. That's another on my list. Uh, I It came back into my memory uh as a thing to watch because people were talking about it because uh jonathan majors is like one of the stars in the movie right the uh who's he's he's having a real moment right uh, now. i think so i think it was one of his first like big roles jonathan majors uh in that movie but he's yeah i mean he's in yes he is yes he he's he's now kang the conqueror the, uh, well now he's in a real movie so uh well actually the real real movie i'm waiting to see him in is creed this coming month i can't wait to see that but uh, creed 3 i should say it, <laughs> i mean it's interesting because this director is telling the story of his friend and the friend is playing himself and and I thought like well what a boon for this for this guy to be able to make this movie about his friend but it turns out he's a nepo baby so oh. that friend is very lucky he met a rich person when he was in high school because this guy this director I'm like who is he he's like oh well his dad is the founder of Salon the oh, the website on. and uh, his grandfather was the the founder of the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, so a double net. But he's using his Nepo powers for good. Yeah. He said, yeah. hey, poor friend, I will make a story about your life. And also, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll depict you in it and you'll be playing yourself. And so he gets the payday, too. All right. Well, yeah, yeah that look, you can't help being born a Nepo baby, but you better be a class trader if you're going to be one. He definitely was. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was, that's filmmaker Joe Talbot. I'm looking forward to see what he makes next. But it reminded me of like every director's first movie in that it's a bit over the top in terms of their style because it's like, I can finally do everything I wanted to. And then they kind of rein it in and define their style over time. Well, and they might think they never get another chance. So yeah. they don't want to. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. that That's one of my favorite things in Blank Check where they talk about somebody's first movie like that. They're like, oh, yeah, they're they're learning a lot. And then. Uh, I've been really enjoying their Danny Boyle one. They've been doing this uh, this uh, last few weeks here. I have too, and I haven't really seen any of his movies. So. It's been a long time since I've seen... I've watched about half his movies, but it's been a long time since I've seen any of them. And I, I finally saw Edge of Tomorrow, uh, oh. the time loop sci-fi movie. Have you seen this? No, I have not. This is no. three in a row that I have seen I and Henry has not. You're now, really let me say me. it. <clears throat> I'm surprised you haven't seen this, Henry. I know. What, I'm surprised what? you haven't seen that one. <laughs> or that one. <laughs> no, I mean, it's the it was the big movie everybody's talking about, but it was uh i will say for about a decade i was a little obstinate of like everybody's telling me to watch this no thank you i'm not seeing it like yeah. at the same time i'm also listening to last podcast on the left's new series about david miskovich who is the leader of scientology and i'm also thinking we shouldn't be so nice to tom cruise no no i think it's really <laughs> we were there's a second we were like we were too mean to him but then listening to all the scientology stuff i'm gonna i'm like hmm he's kind of a villain he is he has like it sounds like he kind of has i don't want to use the word slaves but he he has a lot of people who can't quit working for him uh well but boy he, he can do his own stunts right isn't it amazing yeah and yeah and all, well i wonder how fake there was a new picture of him out today at some party last night and it is 
uh, an unflattering picture of uh, Tom Cruise. So he looks like an actual 62-year-old man or whatever, right? He looks like a 43-year-old uh, man, uh, which for Tom Cruise is very old-looking. Uh, but he's, I believe he's uh, the man in the photo with him. People think it's like an aging Seth Green, but it's not. It's Jerry Bruckheimer. It's what Jerry Bruckheimer looks hmm. like now. Yeah. So, yes, I also recommend that new Less Podcast on the Left series about David Miscavige. Very good. Uh, so I want to do Book Corner again because oh we did Book Corner back in January. Since the last episode of this, I've read seven books. My brain is bulging under my skull. I'm so smart now. It's a lot of books. I'm uh, impressed. A lot of them are kind of short. Uh, none of them are comic books, though. So a few I want to recommend. Uh, so Matt Alt was a former guest on Retronauts. He's still a guest. We didn't, like, burn bridges <laughs> with him or whatever. Uh, he released a book, I believe, in 2020 called uh, How Japan's Pop Culture Conquered the World. It's called Pure Invention. Very, very good book. It looks at eight different creations the context in which they were invented within Japan and following how they could possibly catch on worldwide because all of these things were invented within a specific uh, economic, cultural, and historical context for Japanese people. But some, for some reason, everyone else adapted to them for their own uh, ways. That's interesting. I, I, I want to check that out. That's some of my favorite things uh, when doing research when we do Japanese uh, animation is seeing like, oh, well, this is... You don't know this as an American, but this is referencing a big movement culturally that was happening, you know, in the 70s or 80s or 90s, you know. It really is the transformation of Japan from like a a beat up joke to an economic powerhouse because the book, the thesis of the book is basically that joke in Back to the Future 3 where um, they go to the cave and Doc Brown sees that the um, the parts are made in Japan. He's like, well, no wonder it's broken. And Marty says, Doc, all the cool stuff comes from Japan. So a guy in the 50s thinks Japan, all the chintziest, cheapest crap comes from there. A guy in the 80s thinks, no, high tech. How did that happen? This book answers that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I need to check that out. Yeah. And awesome. Also, dipping back into Kurt Vonnegut, I've kind of been away from him for a decade, and I was looking into my Goodreads reviews, and I was like, why did I stop reading Kurt Vonnegut? It's because I was reading all of his later books that were way too depressing, because the spark of hope that he, that kind of carries you through his books is gone by the end of his life, uh, which makes things like uh, Timequake and Hocus Pocus and Galapagos just kind of dreary, boring reads. Well, not boring, but they just kind of leave you with a gross feeling afterwards, and I prefer... The more uh, cynical yet hopeful stuff of the 60s and 70s that he wrote. When he saw a future for humanity. And yes. wasn't like fully let down by it. Uh, and boy, uh, I mean, if he was alive today, he'd be 101. But boy, he really wouldn't want to be alive today. I mean, he'd quit writing yeah. uh, 10 years ago anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I did read God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. And it's also impossible to describe what any Kurt Vonnegut book is about. But it's a very good exploration of unearned wealth and what it does to people. And it's funny because uh, Chapo Trap House just did a reading series about that uh, Koch, sorry, Coke, the Coke child from the Coke family who's like, I'm not an ordinary rich person. I'm trying to be cool and I'm innovating and blah, blah, blah. This book is a very similar thing. And like, what does, how does wealth make you go insane and what can you do with it to make the world a better place? And it looks at different angles of that. And also uh, in a very prescient way, how automation is going to make all of us worthless. Uh -huh. And the underlying question is, what do you do with a person who has no worth? Like, do you kill them? Because we're all staring down the barrel of a future in which every job is automated. Well, I and mean, in capitalism as it's built, can't, you have to work to live, like you have to earn money to live. Like just because things can be automated doesn't mean that you then also get a free ride. Like just because they can automate, you know, 
all these uh, tasks doesn't mean that that yeah. then gives everybody a free job. Like, no, it just makes people unemployed. <laughs> but it's something that um, you might not want to think about, but I, I do enjoy uh, his experimentation with that idea. It's an it's a 60-year-old book, but it's not dated in any way. So I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. It is a, a brief 180-page read. Oh, that's great. I always love, like, that was when I was a teen – that's when I did my most uh, Vonnegut reading, cause, and I was like, my first book was Cat's Cradle, because I was like, oh, this just flies by. Like It's li- it's like, it barely even feels like the 100-something pages it is. It, it's a real quick It's, it's read. really good. I love Cat's Cradle. But yes, uh, check that out. Also, and speaking of books, I have a big personal announcement coming on the 28th. I can't say it here, because this is going live on the 28th, the morning, so I'm not sure if the announcement will be live yet. But check this space or my space or another space because I will have a big announcement about a a book project that I'm announcing. So check that out and please support it. I'm very excited for Bob in this. It's uh, I know it's something he has been working toward for a good while, and I'm so happy that it's finally finally coming together over five years of work <laughs> uh you know i'm sure the pandemic slowed it down a little bit it really yeah. did it really did it'd be out by now uh but yeah i can't i can't wait for that news but uh to, to finally hit everybody i know what it is guys uh, but uh okay well so as for me uh this last month uh playing mo- mainly fire emblem engage uh the new uh, fire emblem game are you why are you saying it like it's the handheld system uh why i was uh, actually do unintentionally doing the patrick stewart engage, engage. yes y- yeah but it's uh it's a fun return to the basics of fire emblem i mean it's got a hub city you do have social link style stuff, but it's not as a uh, dating sim as before. And it kind of gets back back to basics. Also, a ton of like basically ghosts of previous Fire Emblem games are all in this. So if you're a longtime Fire Emblem freak like me, it's full of references. It, though, honestly, the characters in Fire Emblem are so easily forgettable that i did have to wait uh, like google like wait what did this guy do in this game i mean yeah. they're they're inoffensive but they're basically one of five archetypes mm-hmm. yeah it's uh, <laughs> but hey bob i bet you this guy this main character man or woman that you choose that has amnesia i bet, <laughs> I bet this one's gonna surprise you with the story <laughs> yeah i have yeah. seen people taken aback by this because it's not as social socially focused if you want to call it that as the other ones and that's not as much about relationships it's about the actual battles which is what the series was relying on up until awakening really mm, yeah uh, which awakening did save the series yeah. like it was uh in the like developer interviews they were very clear of if awakening didn't succeed it was the last fire emblem game like but because they added you know kissy scenes and and being able to date a uh, thousand year old dragon <laughs> children <laughs> but it uh but it got a little too spicy for america i think maybe that's or also honestly i think they got tired of being asked to put a gay option in there and they're like you know let's just uh, let's nobody's just, dating yeah no one dates but but hey the the combat gameplay is pure fun as it always was and and yes i do play on classic and restart from uh, the save if a character dies that's how i like to play it. that means you're going to heaven <laughs> exactly. you know awakening is a decade old now it just turned 10 years old that was the game oh, everyone was fuck. playing when one up shut down 10 years ago 
That's crazy. Yeah. I don't like that 2013 is 10 years ago now. Well, when I was playing Majora's Mask on my 3DS, I was looking at all of my software on there, and I thought, boy, I have Awakening in all the Fates games, uh, and I haven't played a, a lick of any of them. So one day in the future, that's like 200 hours of my life. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I literally played 120 hours of Fates to do all three scenarios in the proper order I was told to by things like, well, if you want to do it in the right order, it's this one, it's, this it's one, that one. It's still too complicated. I had to look at guides to make sure I was buying the right things. Uh, but this was a real Nintendo month because there was a Nintendo Direct, which announced a ton of things. Uh, so I did get the Metroid Prime Remaster. I, I played the, the opening hour of it, and I was like, yeah, this looks really great. And also... Uh, there's uh, t two stick controls finally in it, which, uh, you know, look, I get the, hey, you hit lock on, it looks at the thing. That's, that works, you know, but eh, I think uh, I, I was seeing people defending it. it our pal Cat Bailey, she was taking strays from me because we all did that podcast of like your controversial gaming opinion or right. retro game opinion for Retronauts. And the picture has Metroid in it, has Samus in it. Uh, and so <laughs> you called her Metroid. And so uh, when when Cat quote tweeted it to, uh, to promote the episode, people thought she was the one who said she doesn't like uh, Metroid in it. And so like Arthur Geese and Patrick Klepek were in her replies of like, Met, you know, Arthur Geese going, like, you know, Metroid Prime's not good at all. And then Patrick <laughs> Klepek's like, Metroid Prime's great. Blah, and so I was like, man, Cat, you're taking you're taking the shrapnel from my opinions in this. It was a real discourse creator. I'm very interested in this. It will never drop in price, so I'll eventually have to pay 40 for it. But, uh, yeah, I'm very impressed by the amount of work they did on this remaster. There's a great Digital Foundry video comparing the different versions of this game. And I really wish Nintendo would put the same effort into re-releasing Mario games or Zelda games instead of just giving them to some port house and then they basically just make it run in a higher resolution and shove it onto a new platform. Yeah, I wish they took it as seriously. I think it is that the the developers uh, uh on prime like maybe it is a more american idea of what a remake should be i don't, I don't know but i should check out that digital foundry thing i i hope they do the same for two and three like you said three nobody played at all and uh it was like a very underbought uh wii game yeah and two has a lot of game design problems i wonder if they'll try to address those but uh i i watched a friend play through all of two i didn't really play two <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that uh, I got that. Also, you know, if you, Bob, if you're intending to buy some Switch games only digitally in the future, you really should get in that voucher program dealy. What does this mean? What, is a, what does this mean? Well, okay, so you have, uh, you're a subscriber to the Nintendo, to the Switch Online thing, right? The, so, the, the entry level. Right. I yeah. think this counts for that too. So basically, if you have that, you can then buy for a hundred bucks, buy two game vouchers that then can be used to pre-order games that cost more than $50 each. Uh, so in the case of me, and I think this is most people, I paid 100 for the vouchers and used it for the $70 tier, uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom and the $60 Pikmin 4. And so I could get them at like basically oh, okay. I saved 30 bucks on it. Okay, so. I'll look into that. Uh, yes, and I am very excited about Tears of the Kingdom and I am anti-consumer and I think 70 bucks is fine for that game. For how long? I mean, if it's as deep as breath of the wild or even deeper yes it's it's worth the 70 i paid yeah. 70 dollars for games in 1995 okay 
That's not true, adjusting yeah. for inflation. The, the amount on the price tag was 70.00. That's how much Chrono Trigger was, I remember. Uh, like, yeah. For me, it was more than that, which is why I didn't buy it. Oh, yeah. Uh, FF3 slash 6 was $80. I had one friend whose older brother bought Fantasy Star 4. That's the only way we played it. Like, you can see why emulation got so huge uh, not too long after that. Mm-hmm. It was like, these games are too fucking expensive. Yeah, I mostly I rented Chrono Trigger, but then I played it over and over again via emulation in the late 90s. And uh, lastly, for the uh, Nintendo stuff, I started back on Mario Kart 8, but it is a hand herder uh, to be played in. I was like, oh, this is why I stopped playing Mario Kart 8, even though I uh, I played it on 100cc and I won handily against the computer. So I was like, okay, I I I'm, I haven't lost all of my Mario are you, Kart skills. Are you playing handheld mode? See, yes. I think you got to switch yeah. to TV mode and use a better controller because uh, some games, man, that the not very ergonomic. I, I yeah, mode. I'm used to in Fire Emblem with the turn-based thing. I'm not having to keep a grip the whole time, but. In Mario Kart, I'm holding down A, I'm holding, I have a, like the claw grip on it to be like, well, I got to hold my item in the back the whole time and also hold down the, uh, apparently there's a new mode or not new, but a recent addition to it was like the, where the gas is always on, yeah. uh, which I didn't turn that on. I think I that might've been in previous versions, but it, it kind of makes sense, but it feels wrong to me. But I, I wanted to open it up because coming soon is that Yoshi's Island course and Birdo added to the mm. game. So Looking forward to that. Uh, as for movies uh, and TV, I, I have a, a few. I did see Pinocchio, uh, finally, the Del Toro one. I really liked it. It was really good. Uh, I wish I could have seen it on the big screen instead of at home, as Netflix forced me to do. I was very lucky in that I did get to see it in the big screen, on the big screen. It was funny when I watched it with my husband, like halfway through the movie, my husband recognizes Ron Perlman's voice. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the second he spoke, I was like, but I know that Guillermo del Toro puts Ron Perlman pretty much in every single film. So it's really just a countdown clock. Like, yeah. all right, when's Ron Perlman showing up? That was a great movie, uh, Pinocchio. I think I talked about it last month or the month before. But uh, Yeah, I, I really like how it's about how he's doesn't want to be a burden. And it's uh, from going by what you said the original book was, it really is like, don't be an asshole, kids. But in this more, it's like, Pinocchio is just he's new to life and doesn't understand anything but he kind of he pulls his uh his life together pretty quickly I like that but uh uh I've gotten into White Lotus we're down to season two it is a really great show obviously everybody talks about it great actors great writing very funny dark uh and also like uh with some surprising visuals, you're like, "Wow, this is on, is even this is on HBO." I'm shocked at that. Like, uh, but the secret to it, though, I think its success is that beautiful people go to expensive, gorgeous locales, and it. It gets to have its cake and eat it too because other characters go like, man, fuck all these rich people. They suck. And then, but you're still watching beautiful men and women like fuck and eat you, a, a delicious meal. You still want to be them. Yeah, absolutely. While you despise yeah. them. Yeah. And, and it's nice and gay too. There's, uh, there's some queer stuff in it, which I like, uh, uh, which also has the one that leads in the first season of White Lotus. It's also like one of those revolving cast things of like there's a different cast each season. But one of the leads in the first season playing Armand uh, is uh, this Australian man uh, who's a gay uh, a guy. And he also was in the 
gay episode of the last of us that i watched and once i finished watching that i was like great no more last of us for me it i haven't a seen good episode. much discussion of that series since episode three but i'm, yeah. I'm sure it's very popular <laughs> no it's it is extremely popular i'm not gonna pretend it's it is the best video game story ever told i mean why <laughs> Fi- wouldn't it be finally games are for adults now <laughs> no well i mean also to craig mazin and neil Druckmann are also very much the uh they both sides uh political things like when they start with a fascist government i was like well you're gonna have to eventually say that the people who oppose the fascists are also pretty bad and they of course do that like that i I really hope neil Druckmann pulls a ken levine and just disappears from gaming to do whatever because i'm I'm, I'm sick of it i hope he goes away like well just because he quote tweeted you (laughs) and uh tried to send people against you but you won that one i I just i really i mean everyone loves these games i'm not trying to be contrarian but i really hate sony's triple a games i just don't like them i don't like how they play i just think they're not what i want they uh sony's thing is like an expensive story tube like they want uh, or a game that doesn't feel like a game right yeah even even that god of war thing it looked interesting but then i'm seeing all these complaints as 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 you're going through the the game as kratos he's like i should push that rock i wonder what's behind that door oh no i should swing from that rope like all these they're just shooting hints at you and there's no way to turn it off and i can't stand that i play the first five hours of the previous god of war game and yeah that uh, (laughs) they, they there's a clear demarcation of the end of act one and that's when i kind of just stopped i was like yeah i i again i see the quality in them i know they're great but in, in their I, way but yeah i think that's why i stopped playing uh horizon zero dawn is because the main character kept whispering hints to me and i was like i don't need these i'm i'm okay <laughs> i i'm sure spider-man does it too in the spider-man game but i forgive spider-man i should help that cop <laughs> cops are great <laughs> Yes. Uh, you know, in the Miles Morales uh, DL sequel, they they pretty much have him never interact with a cop one way or another. They don't, they make sure he doesn't say anything like, oh, I don't trust the cops. But they also, they definitely had somebody in the writing of it say like, look, you can't have Miles Morales helping the NYPD the entire game. You can't do that. Uh, okay, so quick other hits. Saw the Puss in Boots Last Wish as everybody was telling us to. Yes, it's the first actual good Trek movie. Like, actually good. <laughs> it took 22 <laughs> years, everybody, but we made it. Uh, and yes, is it about panic attacks and fear of death and the thing that's in every cartoon now? Yes, yes it is. But uh, it's uh, it's also like Antonio Banderas is really rated. And it also, another reason I love it is that the breakout star, the new sidekick in it. He's he's the sidekick to a sidekick sidekick. Uh, but he's played by Harvey Guillen, uh, who is one of my like favorite actors right now. And also I have a big time crush on him. Uh, he's he's from uh, he's Guillermo in What We Do in Shadows. And uh, yeah, he's just he's so funny in Puss in Boots Last Wish. And uh, and also like the uh Goldilocks and the Three Bears characters in it are great. John Mulaney is a, is a very funny character in it too. It's uh, it's just really funny. I think it's going to be on Peacock soon. It would be weird for me to just jump into this after missing all the Shrek movies, but I, I might because I've I've seen clips and I like how it looks. But then there's all this Puss in Boots con- Puss in Boots content I'm not aware of. There was an entire Netflix series too. Yes, yeah. There, well, it's it's kind of crazy. The uh, I'll I'll also say when I saw the movie and there are references to Shrek characters I recognize. I was a little bit like, ooh, look at that. There's Pinocchio or whoever. <laughs> uh, also got into the reality show Trixie Motel, the Trixie Mattel 
uh, how a uh, motel renovation oh, reality show. I get it. Yeah, it's wait. Uh, so they're they're renov. Is it like bar rescue? But there's a, a drag queen renovating hotels. Yeah, pretty much the drag queen Trixie. She and her partner, or he, him and his his partner, uh, they bought a aging motel in Palm Springs <laughs> that has like eight rooms in it. And so the project of the reality show is. Can they renovate it for under $500,000? And uh, it is very in your face of just like, yes, it's a reality show. This is the guest of the episode. This is all fake. We're all acting like it just happened. Uh, but it's compelling in the way all trashy reality shows are. It just flies by. You also get to see rich people spend money on things. And you go like, wow, it, I feel like I'm renovating a house and could afford a house and, and renovate it. Uh, and lastly, I started up Chainsaw Man, which uh, it is really good. I didn't, I hadn't read the comic. I'm just seeing the the show now. It's a really interesting uh, turn on the the Shonen uh, story. Uh, and also, I wanted to check it out too because our pal Ian Jones Cordy went pretty uh, viral this month. He did a drawing of a tribute drawing to it because he found out that the creator of it of chainsaw man liked adventure time which ian worked on so he drew a perfectly accurate drawing of adventure time except chainsaw man is finn and uh princess bubblegum is his handler that's right i yeah. forgot about that this is one of those series where my friends were telling me to read the manga for years but now there's an anime also that's the same with uh, spy family so these are two series i need to get around to watching and i will because i know they're very good and they look very good too yeah even jojo is that for me too which uh you know there's still a lot of jojo comics that haven't been in cartoon yet but uh oh and lastly other stuff i did yeah uh this month i or yeah, since the last time I saw the V Variety reunion at Sketchfest, which was really good, and I went to the pro wrestling show of New Japan Pro Wrestling Battle in the Valley in San Jose, uh, which was really good. Uh, well, half good and half not good. <laughs> there, there were some blab matches. Uh, uh, CM Punk appeared, right? CM Punk was in the audience standing above me, and I merely tweeted about it, but I was see trying to act above it all <laughs> because there were other every other goober there when they realized like who all look like me too yeah. they're like see a books here oh my god i gotta go get his autograph i was like guys leave him alone but i was is, tweeting who's the books here is he still disgraced you know that's a complicated question bob it's <laughs> uh we'll see he uh he is recovering from his injury and the question is if in the next month or so what he does does he come back to AEW or not it's uh will he apologize to the people he offended it's it's a very it's a complex hmm. issue that uh, a lot of people have lots of opinions on and uh i'm i'm leaving for canada tomorrow as of this recording day and you're going to be going to a lot more wrestling matches right so much wrestling i'm yes. gonna say henry watch the amount of screaming you do unless you want to sound like tom gamble <laughs> oh god yeah i i'll hold it back i'll save it all for the big uh sunday show but yes yeah, so as listeners know, I go to see all elite wrestling all over the America. I've been to Chicago and Vegas uh, and Seattle to see them. They have never come here to the Bay Area. They finally are for their big pay-per-view. So I'm seeing them Wednesday. I'm seeing them Friday. I'm seeing them Sunday. And then that would have been the end of it. But I've never seen... I've been wanting to take my mom and stepfather to an all uh, an AEW show. They are coming to Sacramento the week after that, which is closer to them. 
So I was like, guys, I'll buy you tickets. We'll see it. And so I'm seeing, I'm seeing it four times uh, in uh, seven days. Yeah, it's uh, and, and look, I know it's a lot. It's crazy. And you're gonna be seeing a lot of my parrot when you take care of him. Yes, I will. Yeah, I'll be telling him all about the fun I'm, I'm having in, in San Francisco. <laughs> Tell him about the outside world because he'll be all locked away <laughs> while I'm gone. Uh, but yes, it's a very wrestling march coming my way. I think I'll be all wrestling out. And I won't be doing my uh, usual Vegas or Chicago trips this year because this is the wrestling for me it's a lot of wrestling it is for one week i wish again i wouldn't have gone that new japan show i was like oh i I bought tickets to that before they announced they were coming to san francisco so i was like well i guess i gotta do both of them all right but for for some reason i forgot about the new japan show and when you went to it i was like what did the week of wrestling start what's going on (laughs) there's uh there is so much wrestling and this is me skipping anything involving the wwe obviously because that uh Look, every company's evil and every billionaire's evil, but WWE's billionaire is really evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a really bad guy. Let's move on to questions and comments. First up is Talking Simpsons. I didn't pull any from the live show because all the comments were like, hey, good job. Way to go, guys. And we appreciate it. And thanks again to Matt Christmas for coming out. Apparently, uh, I follow his wife on Twitter, and I think his train got canceled. So he rented a convertible and drove that back home. So I guess he had a real good time. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that's how he ended up back home. That's nuts, man. He... Again, nicest dude. He's such a great guy. He really, he did that out of the kindness of his heart coming to, to do that with us. It was not, it was not about money. That's why yeah. it, uh, it kind of upsets me when people are like, oh, the Chapo guys, the villains of uh, the podcasting. And whenever we meet them, they're the sweetest men in the world. And they always do such nice favors for us with for nothing in return. Yes. Yeah. This is uh, the, the Chapo hosts. They appear on so many podcasts that, uh, you know, a business manager would say, don't bother with these like this. You are too big for this kind of thing. But they do it because they love podcasts. Like I, you know, I just heard Matt and Will on a uh, on Paul Shears movie podcast uh, on Earwolf. But because Is that unspooled, unspooled, yeah, yeah. with uh, Amber Ruffin. I, I'm sorry, I forget the co-host. But the point of it was, I hadn't listened to unspooled in a while, but I wanted to hear Matt and, and Will on it. And Paul Shear has to give his like normie warning of like, <laughs> so the Chapo guys are very political. They might say some, you know, the more left wing things in your side. I think they're going to say like, I was like, oh, this is the, like the he's worried his earwolf audience is going to tell him or also, you know, there are some jerk hole liberals out there who read some tweet thread about how Chapo's secretly fascist or some bullshit and you just or they're Russian to, CIA plants or yeah, something I don't they're, know they're they're uh what's the word sorry Helpful? Russian KGB agents yeah. oh and useful idiots for yeah. Putin like yeah which yeah we, we could go into a whole thing they're about this but, funded by the CIA uh, there's many conspiracy theories about them but they're what they are is sweetie pies to us yeah who, and uh, it's so nice I'm not even uh, exaggerating without their early support I don't know if we'd be able to live off of this because them being on the show really called attention to us so they really yeah. really did yeah Matt's uh first episode came right around when we launched the the Patreon and it helped a whole bunch mm-hmm. it really did 
So yes, the first episode is Separate Vocations. I just want to note that there were 46 episodes on this one because everyone loves Nina, but I'm just going to put it out there. I love her the most. <laughs> so get in line. Yeah, it's not a contest. <laughs> You'll not win. Yes, but uh, Drew Mackey says... Henry is correct uh, in stating that the wild one is unmemorable, but I do know one other thing about it, and that's that it was based on the one interesting thing that ever happened in my crappy hometown, which is that some bikers got rowdy. The level of rowdy was probably staged, but it became a news story anyway, and now there is an annual biker get-together in celebration of this fake news story that became a bad movie. Not one of the thousands of bikers who come to town look like a Tom of Finland anything looking for rough trade, however. This is a very specific cross-section of my pet interests of Hollister California sucking but also iconic gay pop culture images thank you for your time <laughs> thank you Drew we we count on Drew for a lot of this stuff but yeah it's it's funny the wild one is such a like you look at it now you think like oh well that's a gay guy right and he's like <laughs> no it was a tough straight man yeah and I think I remember in that movie they're just driving their motorcycles around a building in a circle or something I don't know what's happening in that movie yeah yeah it's the taunting shopkeepers I yeah. think yeah <laughs> uh, Hollister California are they the namesake of the Hollister clothing brand mm, I don't know I uh, I just uh, it is funny though like yeah by, biker now you don't think of Tom of Finland you think of like the scuzzy sons of anarchy guys a, a like, gay uh, guy or a guy who raided the capital <laughs> yeah the two kinds yeah. of bikers uh who do not take care of their bodies in the way that tom of finland imagined it which uh you know the tom of finland biopic was really good uh it, though it follows every beat of a uh, a biopic always has to mm -hmm. like it's the the come to america moment the love on the rocks moment the one of the leads is a as a telltale cough uh-oh all, all that stuff i yeah i recently watched coal miner's daughter for an upcoming podcast and i really enjoyed that movie but it did follow all the beats even though it's 40 years old they were <laughs> always there yeah the as you said the only downside was that she hadn't lived enough life for them to hit all the beats in the late life perfectly uh also in that tom of finland movie though there's a the funny moment i always remember and it is it's early where the artist who you know he doesn't have the internet but he is drawing gay porn secretly for himself he doesn't know how to draw like straight people in love a straight <laughs> couple so he asks to a man and a woman to, uh, who were dating like can i take photos of you for a job i have to draw hmm. a man and a woman in love because what if uh, a man and a woman are next to each other <laughs> it's outlandish i, I gotta see a photo of it because it's <laughs> disgusting to imagine uh, uh so manic rainbow says on the episode what a great episode i'd love to give a non-gifted child's perspective on it no offense to you gifted folks or gifties as i call you as a kid who had a learning disorder I shudder whenever Jay Lawrence Pryor speaks. He is the perfect encapsulation of the incredibly passive-aggressive, calm-voiced counselor and analyst I would have to work with all the way from kindergarten to high school. When Pryor says he saw Bart being a drifter, it honestly wasn't far off from what those types of people made us feel uh, was our destiny episodes like this bart the genius and bart gets an f rings so true to me when you treat kids as if they are stupid and have no future what else do you expect them to do but stop caring i know lisa's situation in the episode is different than mine but i really do love seeing her be bad as a reaction to being put in a particular box watching the simpsons as a child taught me to challenge the intellectual power structures in schools yes, thanks for your input uh yeah. yes and this brings me back to what i was uh, talking about earlier with uh, the vonnegut book 
in that uh, if you have some sort of learning disorder, you you have no use according to our system. So what do we do with you? Well, you fail, you become homeless, and then, I don't know, prison or death, maybe? <laughs> there's, there's nothing set up. It's like we have designed one system for basically one kind of person. If you're not that person, well, God, too bad, I guess. I guess die. Yeah. I mean, you can die really quick. It'd be better for all of us. But, uh, th- yeah, this was not my experience. And I think I said on that episode that most of school is just showing up. But, of course, if you have a learning disorder, uh, a lot. There's a lot more involved than that. Yeah, it also takes me back to the Hank Scorpio episode where Bart gets put in the remedial class, and that was when we were in school too. You definitely, if you found out a kid wasn't in the regular classes and was in the, I mean there's no way, the way the structure works is they have to, while in school, be in those remedial classes. And if you find out, it marks that kid forever, like in in the structure of the the classroom, which is really too bad. Like that's not fair at all to the uh, to the student who now everybody is like, oh, you you're in the lesser math classes in elementary school or whatever. You got to be dumb. It's it's really too bad. I think I remember in my early schooling, you were assigned a color book based on your reading level. They didn't want to put like a number on it or any other kind of signifier, but the kids knew like, oh, he's got a purple book, that dumb dumb. Oh, so man. the kids learned quickly. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yes. Now we didn't have that in mind, but it was there was the one classroom where you knew they had the remedial classes, and if you caught a kid going into that classroom, you knew like, oh, okay, well, so that's their problem, and and sadly, like I I definitely remember some kids were judged for that. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. Uh, moving on to I Am Furious Yellow, Joe Hodgson says, so this is the best episode of the season? I think so. It's funny and does a good job of mocking internet cartoon culture of its era, but I have no idea how that plays on someone who is younger and didn't live through it. At least for them, the Marvel stuff plays as well now as it did then, if not better. And Stanley is low-key one of the best guest stars The Simpsons has had for the simple fact that he's willing to go along with the jokes even at his expense. I would argue that Stanley was pretty mainstream even back when this premiered, as he was always very good at self-promotion. I know I'd see him interviewed on the news, and he was featured in cable biography shows and the like. He passed the parent test when this aired, but he's definitely even more well-known now. Um, I, I This is Bob speaking. I'm kind of on board with Stanley being more well-known than we let on in the episode, but I still think for most Simpsons viewers, he needed to be explained. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he was yet at the level of stardom. Because like, Marvel things were only... like That episode aired right before spider-man the movie is coming out in theaters like and and having just rewatched it recently i was reminded like oh yeah stan lee's cameo in the first spider-man is blinking you miss it like he's you see him on screen for maybe two seconds where he's like saving a kid from a rock hitting him or something very different from his appearance in spider-man 3 where he like (laughs) eats the screen and just like hey kid enough said and walks away yeah i imagine uh after this episode uh most people see him in like what 20 of those movies and i'm sure the what people say is like oh that's the guy who invented marvel comics (laughs) so i'm sure that's how he was known after appearing in those movies so much like who's that old guy oh he invented marvel comics and spider-man and probably batman too i don't know yeah it's uh i I also want to say uh, Thad had an interesting comment on it of just saying uh, a stance I'd never uh, really considered before about how, you know, was were guys like Jack Sc- Kirby screwed by Stan Lee. And 
he makes a good point that like Kirby by 1961 had been involved in comics for 20 years at that point. So he knew the deal, but he probably could not have predicted just how big it was going to get and how much he was going to miss out on the money in a work for a higher context. But, uh, oh yeah, I forgot to even say I saw Ant-Man 3. That's how forgettable it is. <laughs> Most people I forgot think. about it. it. It literally goes right through your brain. It is a trailer for other movies. Jonathan Majors as Kang is good. Uh, and if you're a comedy nerd, you will see scenes in it that make you go like, hey, that's a fun reference for comedy nerds. Look, there's there's Neil Hamburger, a.k.a. Greg Turkington in the movie again. It's uh, unfortunate that, uh, you know, we're living in the uh, the splash zone of the Rick and Morty debacle. And thinking about Rick and Morty isn't really fun right now. So when all these Marvel Rick and Morty movies come out, you're like... I don't really want the sense of humor right now. You know, it's just, <laughs> no. it's kind of offensive to me. I don't want to think about Rick and Morty for another couple months, at least maybe. And it's written by one of the top Rick and Morty writers. Uh, they all uh, are. Yes. All yeah. of these are Rick and Morty's. <laughs> you know, they've, the 20, 10 years ago, they hired all the Joss Whedon writers, including Joss Whedon. Now they hire all the Rick and Morty writers. Uh, but uh, yes, also on that episode, Professor Gascan says, I know it's such a minor thing in the episode, but an absolute best time to have experienced G4 TV was to be like me, a 12-year-old whose family had digital cable but still kept dial-up internet. Getting reliable info on games back then was a huge pain in the ass because user feedback could be dodgy. People in general are pretty awful about elaborating at why something does or doesn't work. And there's a lot of bad professional reviewers, too. As much as we now agree that Tommy Tallarico is history's greatest gaming monster, he and Victor Lucas on Judgment Day did have pretty decent reviews for that time. It, If nothing else, they were way ahead of X-Play, who, much like the rest of the review industry prior to the 8th console generation, would dock points from a release solely for being Japanese. One X-Play episode, no bullshit, actually made an autism joke in a JRPG review, which is probably why Adam Sussler does not want to release all the episodes on YouTube, even though he totally could. I'm going to say uh, don't listen to any gaming podcast made before, I don't know, 2010? Yeah, definitely that's, uh, I mean, even 2012, you're probably. Yeah. Second Obama term, maybe you're safe then in most of them. But yeah, I mean, well, especially like the second half of the aughts, it was just open season on Japanese games. Like it was just saying like, these all sh are shit. Now Japan's bad at making <laughs> games. And then you get into edge Lordy jokes about to the Japanese. Yeah. Too. It's, it's like they lost another war or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually I was reading some account posted, uh, scores because I think Wario where the first game just turned 20, uh, and some people were posting review scores of the original reviews, and a lot of them were like, basically, the wacky Japanese are at it again. And one of them was like something, the, the quote was something like, um, now this game might be too Japanese for some people. And it was explaining the things you do, like, you pick a nose in the game. It's just like, <laughs> no, they were making things they thought were funny. These are universally funny things. But the, the, the stance was like, this is Japanese. Yuck. Their humor was, it was them being fun. That's for the longest time. 
it looks so bad now the like people saying like oh well this isn't a joke it's that the japanese are weird like no it's it's comedy it's somebody right uh, it they made this thing in WarioWare to be funny they don't think it's normal it's a joke yeah like, it took a long time for a lot of americans to understand that uh and I, i'm sure i wrote lots of uh oh uh, the wacky japanese games in my old games writing as well i'm guilty it, of that too it's how you applied for jobs then yeah like, you look like a real writer then no i well that's why like the souls games really did take everybody by surprise because everybody underestimated them because they're like this can't be a good new game from japan it must be like actually bad this isn't yeah. skyrim <laughs> uh moving on to dog of death uh kiefer uh, sorry kiefer Folsom says all right i'll be that little freak the recycle clip of homer saying and i'll be right here watching tv the clip is from earlier in the season radio bart it's from when homer was watching the tv uh the commercial for the microphone and he says that could be bart so on the podcast we were wondering what recycled footage they use it turns out it was homer watching tv and on the episode i think i said there's so many clips of homer watching tv up to this point that it was hard for us to figure it out it was really hard i appreciate kiefer i i thanked kiefer in the discord as well when uh they they posted it because the second i saw the word radio bart i was like ah i i could see the scene <laughs> like but yeah it's uh i we try our best to catch all the recycled clips because even in season three there's only so many episodes they can pull from and a season two clip in a season three episode is very obvious but did, sometimes yeah did our listeners also track down the uh ooh, that's a lot of money clip from uh the german episode yes okay. yeah i believe the uh it was uh because i follow them on twitter as well kaylin ramos uh was the, the okay. person who pointed out yeah 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 it, it, to provide context that's in which uh smithers is saying how much the plan is worth or whatever and it cuts to a shot of homer in different clothes in a different environment saying that line which uh which ramos uh, uh correctly pointed out was from sam uh, simpson and delilah yes yeah. okay uh also in that episode uh blake r says as a hamster owner thank you thank you thank you to young andrew for asking his dad to take it to the vet They've gotten a bit of a poor reputation as a disposable pet for kids when they actually require a lot of space and enrichment. People tend to shrug and move on when they have a medical issue, but they need vet treatment as much as any of the big pets, like a dog or a cat. Being a rodent owner is difficult as their lifespans max out at three to four years, but that makes me appreciate all the time I have with mine all the more and want her to have the happiest life I can give her can give her we'll get off my hamster soapbox now <laughs> thank you for the hamster advice yeah, pro uh, hamster we're, we're about to do a cartoon all about hamster violence as well <laughs> that's true that hamster was fine though even though it killed people and those yeah. people were fine as well everybody's fine we saw the the thing at the end of it everybody's fine one yeah. thing i didn't say on the podcast was before i got louis 20 years ago uh when i first moved out i was like i want a pet but i didn't want a cat or anything high maintenance so i, I did dip into hamsters again so there was a point in my early 20s where i i bought hamsters we had one when i was a kid and then it was just a fun kind of like low maintenance pet of course you know you change the the litter you play with it you you build little tubes for it to play in but it was a nice early 20s independent life pet to start with it's fun to watch them eat their little pellets too yes like, they cram them in there <laughs> or if you give them a baby carrot they just like shove it all the way back in their pouches <laughs> that's adorable it's Aww. great 
They're very cute. Moving on to what a cartoon movie for Dumbo in Bradford A. Barker says, a bit tangential, but the speculation about Walt Disney revealing anti-working class sentiment in Dumbo reminded me of similar comments by a critic about Pinocchio's themes of derision towards working class pastimes on Pleasure Island and ideals of assimilation into the American middle class. Class conflict was definitely on people's minds and Walt's in the 1930s and the U.S., and it all probably tracks and absolutely makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he was a rich guy who was a job creator who I think, uh, of course, he's going to look down. I mean, also because he is a, he, he has been the myth for a hundred years. You tell everybody of like, oh, you want to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, Walt Disney started as a blah, blah, blah. And you just, he is, he is a story of, uh, he is like the American success story or one of the top ones. But, uh, but it's, it's a sad deal of like, oh, and the end of an American success story is of course you become the exploiter who like <laughs> shits on everybody below you. Yeah. There, there was so much reactionary stuff happening in this time period because of uh, anti-working class, anti-immigrant sentiment. Uh, and and one of those was prohibition. There were a lot of other reasons why it went into effect, but a big reason was all of these Italians are coming over here and they're drinking wine at their Catholic masses. Ooh, right. I forgot it was an anti-Catholic thing, man. It, and, it... Oh, sorry. One more thing is that the reason why comics were cracked down on is because immigrants were coming here. They couldn't read English, but they could read comics. So they were a big uh, uh, reading. Th- they were a big thing that was read by immigrants. Uh, wow. Comics. So yeah. that's why it was, it was seen as low class. That's a yes. big, yeah. And, well, I mean, that came up in our Superman and uh, the Furious Yellow thing too. Of like, many of the creators of comics originally of the of, the, of a lot of the most uh, remembered ones uh, were Jewish immigrants, like or the sons of Jewish immigrants. Like it was, it was not seen as a thing regular white people uh, did if they were getting into the arts. And now we're all drinking wine and reading comics. But Disney was a hypocrite. He was swigging out of his flask and smoking cigarettes yeah. and eating chili. I love, I love when the podcast the right guys go like uh, but no booze in the park if you take two steps this way get as drunk as you want and then walk back into the park but no drinking in the park and disney was not religious he he attempted to destroy christ with the disney corporation yeah that was right. his ultimate goal <laughs> it's that you know the i guess all these people who think that Disney is secretly trying to destroy kids. They're finally catching on to it, really, the uh, the Disney haters. He was all about cultural Marxism. <laughs> uh, but Joshua Marchant also said on uh, Dumbo, after watching both Pinocchio and Dumbo, I think this was a much sweeter and healthier portrayal of a parent-child relationship. Mrs. Jumbo and Timothy both leap to defend an actual baby when he's getting bullied or manhandled. There's an unconditional quality to their care and support of Dumbo throughout. By contrast, Geppetto is an inept absentee and Jiminy's constant huffiness with his two-day-old charge not immediately understanding and following his instructions seemed immature for a guardian. Jiminy treats Pinocchio like it's his fault that he's being expertly manipulated by adult con men. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely both come with like a come on pinocchio like go to school it's like he's he's a child it's a, it's a fun movie in terms of animation but there's not much to take away from it in terms of what am i learning here the <laughs> this baby is very naive okay sure uh don't trust the first person you meet when you walk out the door you know yeah and that no i mean timothy is a better guy than jiminy yeah i i definitely agree with that and and uh yeah we also got uh we got a nice email from our pal thad who uh i always look to him 
him uh, for approval on our research for old stuff like uh, like Dumbo or the the Fleischer Superman shorts. He said he disagreed with us, but he was not disappointed by our research. So yeah. I was very happy uh, doing the episode. I was very worried that Thad would be angered <laughs> by my research. Uh, me too. I mean, that is also why when we did Fleischer Superman, <laughs> I sent my notes to him beforehand <laughs> of like, so I didn't miss anything, right? And uh, I got the Thad thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so moving on, speak of the devil, what a cartoon. Fleischer Superman shorts. Uh, Harry Thornton says, as a fellow Superman nerd, something else that's special about the mechanical monsters. According to Superman historians, it's the earliest known depiction of Superman changing in a phone booth, which rarely, if ever, happened in the comics. The whole pop culture idea that Superman changes in the phone booth seems to come from this short. There was a famous prehistoric creature on the rampage in a modern city scene that predated King Kong, where a brontosaurus runs around London during the climax of the 1925 silent version of the lost world it was animated by willis o'brien and essentially set him on the path that would lead him to bringing marion c cooper's king kong to life through stop motion i am sad i forgot the lost world when we were talking Me about too. that yeah which obviously i've never seen the film but i've seen the clip of uh when i think of the lost world it's the one with like the snarling uh teeth shot of I, the brontosaurus I, I think like peewee's playhouse used that clip a lot that's it yeah i bet they showed it all the time on that yeah it was uh the lost world uh that i'm sure that they were pulling somewhat from that by that point it was like a 16 year old movie so uh, a classic and yeah i did not uh here i was all focused on whether superman was leaping or flying i completely missed that it was the first time superman changed in a phone booth which yeah, no idea yeah yeah uh, and Joe Hodgson also says on the episode, as a kid, it would bother me if I watched these cartoons that Superman seemingly could not fly. He was always jumping, granted quite high, but that isn't as good as flying. It's funny you brought up Goku, who is obviously influenced by Superman, but he too mostly just jumped around for the majority of Dragon Ball, save for the one time he flew with his tail or upon the flying Nimbus. And he kind of just learns to fly off screen <laughs> like it's not a big deal as if as I don't think he flies until the final battle in uh, Dragon Ball original with piccolo jr and then when z starts i don't think he flies again until after his training with king kai i haven't watched it in forever but i don't think he even attempts to fly to escape hell or hiffle uh, if you prefer after falling off snake way i guess that's just another example of holy shit tien can fly just turned into yeah that guy can fly uh, no big deal <laughs> yes at the point i'm watching now all of the villains are just floating around in space and it's a real problem so <laughs> these guys gotta learn to fly soon yeah i think you know this could have been a localization thing i don't because uh, i only remember from the first from the ocean dub of uh, of dragon ball but when he's running on snake way i think he says something like well i could fly but that takes too much energy so i better just run and obviously it's funnier if he runs snake way the entire time it'd be boring if he flies that would be boring yeah and of course when he needs to get there really fast later in the story then boom he flies uh to get to the vegeta fight in time but uh yeah no that's uh that is uh, i i'm always up for a goku versus superman discussion <laughs> <laughs> gotta immortalize that in comics though to see who really wins it needs to officially happen i always said that, like well because goku always gets stronger while superman is kind of at the same level so i would say the goku at this point can definitely beat uh superman <laughs> i'd put my money on goku for sure yeah. 
Uh, moving on to Talking Futurama, Less Than Hero, the fun superhero send-up episode. Uh, Christmas Ape says, Coincidentally, Dr. Zoidberg has a cameo in the Rich Moore-directed Duck Dodgers cartoon from that batch of 2003 Looney Tunes. Go figure. And uh, Christmas Ape also says, The conversation about the delightfully dated quality of the superhero parodies in this episode made me realize that I don't really know what a superhero parody looks like these days. The most recent one I've seen is the episode of Amphibia that riffs on the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, and even that feels intentionally outdated at this point. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of recent ones, and one of the first recent ones I think of is a ten, uh, eight-year-old, nine-year-old episode of Steven Universe where... It's kind of a parody of the Nolan Batman films where Steven realizes he's a hero and he pushes everybody away because he's like, a hero has to feel the pain by himself and not put it on others and then at the end of the episode he realizes like well that's stupid i should i should be i should have friends i I feel like you don't see parodies of marvel movies because by design they're meant to be like kind of shapeless and without a real identity because they want to slot in a new director if one doesn't work out yeah so with the nolan movies uh, you can parody those because there is an identity to them like a, a point of view but with the marvel ones even though some of them are enjoyable I think by design, they don't want a strong point of view in them. Same with the Zack Snyder movies, which yeah. I don't like, but you definitely can parry. They have they have a distinct feel that is only their type of movie. Uh, yeah. I, uh, and also, yeah, that Zoidberg thing, I didn't realize he was in Duck Dodgers. I've only watched a little Duck Dodgers. Every time I watch, like, oh, this is actually just a really good show. Well, I think this is the short they made, but not the TV series they would later make. Okay. Yeah. I see. I All right. I'll look that one up, too. I really like the, the TV series. It was like Joe Lasky's last real uh, thing is da- as, as Daffy. I, I would jump in occasionally. I was in my mid-20s, so it wasn't really for me, but I, I did respect it. I watched the Kevin Smith episode, obviously. Oh, I forgot uh, about that. It's, uh, it was where Duck Dodgers gets a Green Lantern ring, uh, uh, and he okay. becomes Green Lantern. And then the end of the episode, uh, the real Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, appears, and he is voiced by Kevin Smith. So uh, it's, it's a rare time where Kevin Smith isn't just playing himself. Uh, stupid sexy Flanders says good news Henry thanks to production time Return of the King was largely done before 2001 it was never made as a war on terror analogy and the cast Sean Astin especially hated that the media did relate the two he even remarks on the commentary for two towers how much he hated it and to where he stopped saying and signing his name by any quote related to war white savior sure but Lord of the Rings is anything but a war on terror analog and uh, yes, stupid sexy Spencer Flanders. I agree with you. It was uh, I definitely. Well, also like Peter Jackson uh, and his and Philip Bowens and and everybody else on it. They definitely seem to be more left wing as well. They are not. They definitely weren't George W. Bush supporters. But I, yes, I don't think it was intentional. I do think that one of the thing that lifted its tide to make it a big mass media event was that conservative people could like it because they're like yeah it's the war war on the other like finally a virtuous war we're finally going to fight back against people it was kind of like a rorschach test for people mm. no and I'm, I'm glad sean Aston does that too well also like uh i two towers uh the the end fight in that is one of my favorite i think it's my favorite battle in the whole series but even peter jackson admits like well, yeah, we were inspired by uh, this actually very racist movie called Zulu that has oh. really good fights, uh, a really good battle in it. I, I am vaguely familiar with that. Actually, this talk of uh, Sean Aston on commentary reminded me, this is tangentially related, 
I remember buying the Goonies DVD in 2001 thinking, oh boy, can't wait to watch the Goonies again. I didn't, I didn't really like it as an adult. <laughs> but I do remember the commentary, and it was back in the day when sometimes they would have the commentary as like a picture-in-picture video on the screen, and they were all there. But I do remember Sean Astin had to leave the commentary, and I'm guessing because he had to do some Lord of the Rings stuff. Yeah, his his time had to be very in demand uh, for pretty much the first like uh, from 1999 until 2004 probably. I'm thinking of giving Goonies a rewatch. It's been 20 years and my wife has never seen it. And my takeaway at the age of 19 was, man, these kids are annoying. <laughs> I'll tell you what, never liked Goonies as a kid, but that's cuz uh, as a fat kid yeah, it's not nice to feck it. Were you made to perform the truffle shuffle? Some friends would uh, try to make me do it, and I, I was not a fan. That movie did a lot of damage to yeah. the Asian <laughs> and the uh, large community. Oh, and and don't forget uh, disabled people right. too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh well, we'll we'll watch it. And we'll check in. Uh, we'll eat some baby Ruths. It'll be fun. Uh, so moving on to talking of the hill, pregnant pause. Blake R says. I would ordinarily be wary of the reboot, especially considering we had more King of the Hill than I'd ever hoped in its original run, but the quality of the new Beavis and Butthead has me airing on the side of optimism. Luann was the favorite character of both my wife and I, so I would hate for her to be entirely absent as long as the writing is true to her character. You're right that Tom Petty being dead as well does throw a bit of a wrench into whatever you do with that couple, but more than anything, always happy when Kathy and Jimmy gets paid to save her from doing more Hocus Pocus movies. <laughs> uh, Peggy Hill has always been the, one of the funniest characters to me and never understood the hate for her. The de-evolution of TV has meant that younger audiences can't accept that unlikable characters can be funny and interesting. And this is Bob saying, bravo, yes, I totally agree with you. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, especially that last point where, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm getting a lot like, of, there's, I'm seeing like a lot of very weird pushback. We talked about it when we mentioned Velma, where people are saying, how, how can a person treat other people like this when you're watching, you know, a flawed character? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a throw, the Velma show, which like, I didn't finish watching it. I didn't, it's fine, but definitely it's like, characters can be mean to each other sometimes like not i it feels like now we're on the other side of like people complained when there were nice cartoons like steven universe was the one everybody was like oh everybody's got to apologize or everybody's got to be nice it's like now it feels like we're on the other side we're like is no cartoon can be mean now yeah or, well, why i not? mean we're going to be recording it next but after watching invader zim uh it, it's a very dated show and some stuff i don't like but i also thought like can we just have some a couple of mean kid cartoons where zim isn't apologizing to gur at the end saying oh i should have listened to you gur you know you have some great ideas and let's be friends again and they they hug each other yeah everybody's uh so so uh, i think should be allowed to be more mean that's what's great about smiling friends just nice and mean i think yeah. there's an entire industry of like sensitivity reading that are corrupting children's entertainment yeah which again like i mean also i don't want to sound like one of those people who's like oh every cartoon cartoons are pussifying kids i don't agree with that oh same here yeah but there there should be space for mean cartoons too yeah i think kids now are much more empathetic and are, are living in a socially better world for them than we did in terms of how they react and relate to their you know peers yeah i uh as far i think about this uh Billy Eichner says it in that bros movie, at least for how young kids today deal with like uh, queer content is that like we, our generation grew up with AIDS. They grew up with Glee. Mm. So that's an entirely different 
view. Uh, and yeah, also the the stuff about Luann and, and Tom Petty, what to do with those characters. I also want to say I apologize. I mischaracterized uh, our our friend Nina's stance on uh, on the Khan character. She right. She's pro. Uh, she loves Khan. Yeah, and does definitely does not want him dead uh, as well. So uh, I apologize for for that mistake. Just a quick quick correction there. I feel like again we're months away from hearing who is recast as Khan. They they got to do it soon. And but yeah, I mean. Yes, everything gets rebooted. Nothing gets to be a new show. Uh, I just saw Craig McCracken did a, a Lifetime Achievement Award speech uh, last night at the time of this recording at the Annie's. And he made this, uh, he'd been saying it before of like, well, yeah, the I did a new thing with Netflix. The Netflix algorithm told them that Kid Cosmic wasn't good enough to renew. And so guess what? If I want to make a new thing, it has to just be more Powerpuff Girls. Mm. Everything's just got to be more of this. Like, yep. Yeah. And lastly, Nathaniel Miller says, my predictions for the new series are absolutely less likely, but feel true to the characters. Bobby will be a failed millennial Brooklyn comedian pushed out of New York by the housing crisis. His arc will be him becoming a renowned pit boss podcaster. Mm-hmm. Connie will be a bored STEM PhD returning to her roots because she finds her career tedious and empty, finding her new cause at home, maybe finding value in itchy algae. Joseph's best friend since they left has been chained with Sonasong. They will both work as car salesmen for Lane Prattley, their hometown heroes who never left and had to find purpose in Texas after their glory of high school football. I, I like these. I like these ideas if they uh, move the series forward, especially the Connie thing, because I've been thinking that our generation and we talked about this on Beauty and the Beast. We were really book pilled like read, read, read. The most important thing you must do is read. And then. Right after us, it was like, shit, no, STEM, 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 STEM. Forget about reading. <laughs> so I want to see what happens to those kids who are like, boy, the fu- this wasn't the future for us, really. Yeah, it's sliding timeline on the show in the original run made it so Connie had to like shift in what kind of uh, highly motivated, uh, uh, high-grade student she was supposed to be. And like, yeah, she probably had to shift into STEM and is now just like sick of it or it's she's surrounded by STEM people in an overpopulated job market. And I would like the callback to Itchy Algae, but I also, I feel like they're just going to keep everybody the same age. I don't think they're... Yeah. Or, or they could do the Beavis and Butthead uh, new season, which had it both ways. Some episodes are realistically aged beavis and butthead in their 40s and some episodes are them as if they never aged and they're today they're in today's time i would still prefer like i said on that podcast if when the hulu premiere happens it's as if the show was never canceled which is what happened with uh beavis and butthead in the 2010s right it's just like they're back they're not going to comment on it maybe there'll be a wink to that they've been gone for uh 14 years but that's basically going to be it i think yeah yeah now look i agree there has been a lot of king of the hill maybe there maybe they could do something new but clearly no company wants new things yes they don't want it. that's my that's my stance now actually it's it's if nothing new can be made at least bring back the old stuff that was good yeah. uh if, if simply nothing new can be made of value fine to bring back the things i like and that's it yeah if that's if that's what we have to settle for then again it's like fox is spending all that money on on uh, new episodes of Bob's Burgers and Family Guy and and all that they I mean they did make new stuff we didn't watch it really <laughs> yeah and I mean if you look at the other things that are being made what do you want to see the exploding kittens cartoon or more King of the Hill 
Come on. Yeah. Come I mean, on. Borking Hill. That's, that's my vote. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but thanks for listening to another episode. Talk to the audience. Again, we've got a great month coming up for you in March. Uh, the return of Blab and Batman will be happening. A new episode of that, along with our regular miniseries episodes. And we'll be covering Chicken Run. And I believe the month will be kicking off on Talking Simpsons with a, a very big guest that we had in person. So uh, look right. forward to that. If you looked at our Twitter in January, you probably know who it is. <laughs> but don't spoil it for everybody yes. else. Yeah, it's uh, yeah we got uh, we got some cool stuff coming your way. So thanks again for listening, everyone. We'll see you again for another episode of Talk to the Audience. Take care. Infotainment.